Welcome to Single Mom Stories with Kelly Travis, a show that brings you stories and conversations about life as a single mom, the mess and the beauty and everything in between. Hey there, welcome to another episode of the Single Mom Stories podcast. I hope you are having a fantastic day, week, moment. I mean, let's be real. Some of us are living, you know, hour by hour. We're just focusing on the hour we are in. (laughs) Whatever it may be for you, I hope you are doing well. And I'm so glad to have you back. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Kelly Travis. And today we're going to be talking about body image, specifically the challenges we face around body image, as well as what we can do to improve it. So I'm going to be sharing all kinds of things with you. And to kick it off, I want to talk about how this impacts us as parents, as mothers. I just got back from a weekend away without my children with two girlfriends who also have kids. We made plans a couple months ago for this trip, and it was amazing for probably two reasons. One, it allowed me to disconnect from life as a mom, work, everything, right? To just really dive in and relax and allow myself to relax. And two, connect with two amazing humans. And it was just wonderful to have that time with them. We relaxed, we laid by the beach, we ate, we drank lots of coffee in addition to some tequila and really connected over life, all the things, right? Relationships, parenting, work, and body image, which is why I wanted to do this episode. That conversation came up and really specifically to body image post having kids, body image as a a parent and, you know, the, the reality that no matter our shape and size, we all have some internal struggles, some challenging narratives and, I wanted to address that today because if you're listening to this, you may be a a mom, a caregiver, a guardian, something, and you can relate. So I did an episode on my other podcast, She Doesn't Settle, a long time ago on body image. And I'm including that in this episode, but I want to tee it up to frame it around you know, motherhood and those realities, right? So before we dive in, if you do have body image issues, perhaps some insecurities around your body, maybe challenges with eating disorders, I just want to put the trigger warning out there that there is some conversation around those things. I keep it very, I think, safe, but I just want to put that out there. So let's talk about how it's specific to mothers, okay? Number one, we feel pressure after having kids, if you've had your own kids, or if you've adopted or you've adopted, we feel pressure to look the way we did before having kids, right? So if you've birthed and carried your own kids, there's pressure to return to the same weight, look the same, that we did pre-baby, right? And there's this urgency to return back. I mean, there are programs and coaches out there that focus on, I'll get you back to your pre-baby weight. You'll look even better than you did before. Like all of this stuff that is not healthy and also unrealistic. It's very difficult to return to that place when you're breastfeeding, when you're up all night, sleep deprived, living off of caffeine. And so I want to just put this out there that if you are a year out from having a baby or 10 or 20, it doesn't matter. We all have this expectation of ourselves, or maybe you don't. And if you don't, if you're in that 5%, I share percentages later, don't worry then amazing. Keep going. I'm so happy for you. But if you're among the rest of us who have put that pressure on ourselves, 
just recognizing how unrealistic it is, as well as we can take our time, right? Just because in the US, you're supposed to be back at work within like 12 weeks doesn't mean you have to have everything buttoned up. And PS, it's okay if you never return to the way you were before. I haven't, and I don't plan to. I mean, my second kid wrecked me. (laughs) So things are just different. And that's the reality of it. And I think the more we normalize this conversation, the more we talk about how unrealistic it is and also just okay to not want that, the better we all are. So I talk about this later, but making sure the community we surround ourselves with also supports that perspective and it's important to have that. The other thing that is specific to mothers and came up in our conversation this past weekend is that after you have kids, whether it's one or two or five, we don't have the time or the energy we used to have. So finding time or energy to work out is different. Working out might look different, right? So again, changing the the expectation bringing in reality, talking about what is realistic and really centering around that is important. So if you're juggling work and taking care of the kids and taking them to all of their activities, then you know that hour at the gym might not be realistic, but taking a walk, getting in like a bodyweight workout at some point, those types of things are. So again, I think the theme here is to really focus on the fact that we all have our own choice. We don't need to compare ourselves to everyone else. We get to make choices that work for us. And in my work, on the other side of this, we talk a lot about how what works for one person doesn't work for the other, right? So you might have a friend who has two kids and is juggling a full-time job and takes all of her kids to practices and still gets to the gym for an hour. That doesn't mean you have to do that. Your exercise routine, your taking care of yourself can look different and that's okay. What works for you is what works for you. So dropping the expectation, recognizing what you need and what makes you feel good, opting for another hour of sleep over an hour at the gym. I don't know, that might be better. If you've listened to my other podcasts, you know that research shows that sleep should come before exercise because if we're not getting enough sleep, the exercise is not going to do shit for us. So again, recognizing what you need and the stage of life you're in, right? If you have little ones, babies, or if you have teenagers, your time, your capacity looks different. And then finally, how this is all relatable and specific to mothers is a lot of our own narratives, conversations we have, the habits we have, we pass along to our kids. And I share a little bit about my own experience at the beginning of this episode. Some of you, well, a lot of you might not know if you haven't followed me on my other podcasts, I had a severe eating disorder, was hospitalized at 19, dropped out of college. And I talk a little bit about that whole experience and that narrative because it did impact how I felt when I got pregnant and had my first son. So being mindful of our hangups as we raise our kids, how we want to show up, they're watching, right? We're not going to do it perfect, but like it's kind of an incentive. It's a a piece of motivation to get us to pay attention, to take care of ourselves, to be kinder and gentler to ourselves. So hopefully that resonates for you. Also, just so you understand the reference at the end, I reference Myrna Valerio, who is an author, a mother, a teacher, an advocate, and her book, A Beautiful Work in Progress. Myrna is part of the body positivity movement. She is an overweight runner and she's done everything from marathon to ultra marathon and so much in between. And she talks very candidly about the shaming that has been done to her 
starting at a young age all the way through to her now as she's running and doing this work and still being shamed and told she's not a runner and shouldn't be a runner. When I initially recorded this episode for She Doesn't Settle, I had met Myrna and it kind of was a catalyst for that episode. And so you won't hear the beginning of that. So I wanted to reference it, but you will hear an excerpt from her book at the end. So I wanted to make sure I clarified or let you know why that was happening. Okay. As I say in this episode later, if you want to talk about this or have a conversation around this more, you can reach out to me at Kelly T Health or send me an email at support at kellytravis.net. This, along with the Enneagram conversation last week, is what I'm starting to compile in terms of what I want to be part of the retreat that I'm going to put together. I mentioned it, I think, in a previous episode, but I am putting together ideas as well as dates for a weekend retreat for moms. You do not have to be a single mom. It is for moms. It will happen here in Las Vegas, and we will touch on the Enneagram. You'll get to take an Enneagram assessment. We will talk through that in terms of how you can utilize that in parenting. We will definitely touch on health and well-being and body image throughout the weekend as well. I'm going to have one or two guests come in. It's going to be fantastic. You will be pampered, all the things. So if you are interested, I don't have a sign-up sheet yet or an interest page, but you can send me an email at support at kellytravis.net. And in the subject line, just put retreat or mom retreat and let me know that you're interested because I'm trying to gauge what to plan for and make sure that I can provide everything I want with the amount of people that are interested. So let me know. Okay, I'm going to stop talking. Let's move into the rest of this episode. All right, talk to you soon. We think that if we love our body, we'll be happy. If we lose the weight, we will be successful. If we look different, everything will change. But I want to take a stand and say that we don't have to wait for any of that. And it starts with baby steps right now. So I'm going to give you a little bit of that. But I also want to talk about stuff that is very triggering. Because like any of the stuff that is happening in our world we kind of come back to this question about, you know, who's to blame? What is to blame for this? Right. And how do we take ownership of it also? Um, Like Myrna, right. Do we become, do we become a victim? And to what extent do we move? How do we move through this and, and all of that? So I've, I've mentioned this before on the podcast and in my talks, but, you know, I was hospitalized at the age of, 19. Yeah, 19. No, 20. And while they released me because I had gained the weight they wanted me to gain back, like I never shifted from surviving to thriving. It took me another 10 years. And it wasn't until I found out that I was pregnant with my first son that a lot of things shifted. And I I will share the difference um, here in a little bit. But when I got pregnant, my first thought was fear. Not just because I was pregnant, but because I was deeply afraid that I'd have a daughter and that she would hate her body the way I hated mine. And I had always had this fear. And it was the reason I resisted having kids forever because I did not want to mess up my kid. And once that fear passed, I had another thought that even if I had a son, I still needed to do the work to get to a better place with my body. So he didn't pick up on those things either. Men are just as much impacted by body shaming and all of that stuff. It just doesn't get talked about. And I'm not here to do that today, but I do want to honor that because I, you know, it is happening in that space as well. It's that's a whole other that's a whole other mess, and I'm not gonna we'll, that'll we'll save that for another day. But 
messages are passed intergenerationally between mothers and daughters and grandmothers and granddaughters and sons and mothers and fathers. Like it's everywhere. And it's important to remember that if you are a mother, you can pass down healthy perspectives and you can create positive relationships for your kids. So just know that. And, and I think that, you know, having kids can make you more self aware and pay more attention to how you're speaking to yourself. So maybe it's a good thing. But I grew up in a family where the women did not respect their bodies, where food was demonized, where women were the women I looked up to and raised me were constantly trying to change what they look like. You know, they paid to change a lot of things. And it was part of the norm. In fact, I I remember so many different incidences, um, particularly with one side of my family. And at usually, you know, meal times when there was negative conversations and judgment and it was just rampant. And I remember as a kid, I think I must have been in middle school, sitting at the counter and I was eating out of a box of wheat thins. Remember those? I was probably middle school aged and my Nana came up to me and she was like, are you keeping track of how many you're eating? Because you know those are empty calories and you need to pay attention. And <laughs> I'm pretty sure I blew her off, but that stuff, it, it sinks in there. It comes up later, right? So it continued. And meanwhile, I grew up like probably a lot of, if you know, if well, most of us at this point have lived through the diet phase, the low fat, no fat, you know, fear tactics, all of that stuff that was happening in marketing and nobody was eating fat. So, you know, that was also happening and we were all impacted by that. And it still comes up for people big time because that's a huge, that was a huge story that people are carrying. But all of this, you know, within my family continued and my relationship with my body was never good. So when I ended up in college running and my coach told me I needed to change my body as in shrink it, I didn't even question it. It was so normal for me because of the conversations I grew up around. When he said that, I correlated shrinking myself with success. It just made sense. And that was really the trigger for me in you know the downward spiral of my relationship with my body and food and, and for a while, exercise. But really, it all came down to my self-worth. And that's really what a lot of this is all about, right? It's challenging. And as women, we put so much pressure on our relationships with our bodies. We have so much brain shatter on how we eat, what our body should look like, and how we look compared to others. In fact, in North America, 85 to 95% of women are extremely dissatisfied or hate their bodies. So if you don't, you're in the minority. Society has conditioned us to accept body dissatisfaction as normal. It's just part of who we are and we've come to accept this. And I hear it a lot, especially when interviewing prospective clients for my programs. And I'll ask, you know, what is your relationship with your body? And I'll I'll get responses like, well, you know, I, I have some weight I need to lose after the baby or, you know, I gained weight and I don't wear anything tight fitting. I just wear my, you know, clothes that make me feel comfortable. It's just what happens when you get older, I guess, right? We've come to accept it. Or, you know, on the flip side, there are women who are just obsessed with fixing themselves because it's not enough. And they're trying to reach an ideal that really doesn't exist. And that's also very damaging. And the majority of women who are dissatisfied, it's starting earlier in life. And hating our bodies is just central to connecting with other women. And and this is really the problem, right? 
we bash ourselves in order to make someone else feel better. And we feel like there's some kind of bond. It's like this body hatred circle, self-deprecating community. And we don't really ever hear women offering a counter narrative. It's a lot easier to engage in a conversation where women are saying, well, I need to lose some weight. Uh, I couldn't fit into my skinny jeans. Oh my gosh, I look so fat today. Blah, blah, blah. Right? And then we just feed into it and people just keep on going. Versus if someone were to say to you, I just love my body. I'm so proud of it. Look at all the ways I take care of myself. I'm so strong. You might not know how to have that conversation. And you might think to yourself that maybe they're lying. Or the other element of our society is that someone says they accept their body, that we associate that with letting ourselves go, right? Oh, she's just letting herself go. How could anyone possibly accept their body? Shouldn't a woman always be thinking about improving her appearance? And so then the women that are not in that 85 to 95%, they don't feel comfortable talking about how they accept their body because they'll get excluded from conversations. And then you have trailblazers like Myrna, Valerio, who is doing this work and As an example, she's getting a whole lot of pushback. Now people are embracing it, but then she's also got people who are not. And so in our circles, in our communities, it has become the experience of being a woman. And it's keeping us stuck in a story that doesn't tell the full story. There is more of who we are than just this body stuff. And there is is a different way. We don't have to keep feeling this way about our bodies. We don't. And that's what I want to talk about. And I think that, you know, we're making strides, but what comes with those strides is also other challenges. And I think it's important to talk about because as we're starting to progress and and make changes in this space, there's also things we need to be aware of. And one of those is, you know, the health industry itself. We have a story about our bodies. Everybody has been on some sort of diet or been around somebody who's on a diet to shrink themselves. And then we see celebrities who have the ideal, perhaps, but they're also being shamed and they have the ideal. So that's harmful. And so if you're trying to make changes either for yourself or we're seeing it culturally, those stories still exist about being skinny and thin and small. And it's kind of still in that background. And if we're trying to do more in terms of inclusion and acceptance and all of those things, we're also up against people who are projecting their own insecurities and placing judgment. So you have one camp who's really pushing this positivity and acceptance and another who is having a hard time embracing it because there's a whole bunch of stories around of what your body should look like. You know, everybody is familiar with the story, the toxic story of our bodies are better when they're thin, when they're disappearing. And that the smaller we are, the more accepted we'll be and the more successful we'll be. And and that's the ideal. And then, you know, in the health industry, yes, (laughs) we're helping people get healthy. And that's amazing. But there's this element that foods are good or bad. There's this moral value tied to things. And there's this underlying message that we are what we eat. So you're dirty if you eat you know, bad stuff. And, and clean eating is more pure. And while it's not like directly saying this, in many ways, it is kind of underneath. And so what started out as something that felt like a positive thing 
now has created so many additional issues with regards to rules around food. Health is now another obsession that is getting out of control because people are attaching it to a diet. So you hear of people who have disordered eating around eating healthy and the obsession with that. Again, there's so many conversations that can come out of this conversation. So I don't want to drill down too far because we'll be here all day. But the rigidity that comes with the health industry that is supposed to be helpful, it feels like health is kind of the disguise of the diet culture, right? This idea of health. And I don't know about you, but I have no desire to follow a rigid plan and to count all the things and to measure all the things and not eat the stuff I love. I did that and it messed with my mind. Dieting causes so many issues around anxiety and depression and insecurities. And this is another topic of conversation, but there was a study called the Minnesota Starvation Study. And I am not going to go into details about it now. But what that study many things came out of it. But one of the things is that even people who are at a healthy weight and not inclined toward disordered eating become obsessed with food and eating when they are deprived of adequate nourishment or subjected to restrictive eating. And so you have people who have never had issues with food who get on a diet, keto or paleo or Mediterranean that is healthy for them. And then it becomes an obsession and they become insecure and obsessed with their body. So we're seeing all kinds of things come out of this and it's really impacting us on another level. So when I say, you know, we're progressing, yes, because we're eating more healthy foods, we're focused on health, whole foods instead of processed and and all of that stuff, but then, you know, there's another layer that is causing some issues. So looking to others to tell us how to eat and how to get there can look rigid and complicated and no fun. And this again goes back to you are the owner of your body. If you are following somebody else's rules, then you can end up feeling like a good or a bad person for what you eat. And letting other people tell you what kind of body you should have and what to do with that body It goes against our basic instincts that we were born with, which were to listen to and respect and embrace and enjoy our bodies and everything that comes with that, which is to experience pleasure when eating really good food and to feel hunger cues and fullness cues and to like feel the power of moving and playing in your body. And so we need to be mindful of what the messages are and how we're taking them and how we're interpreting what health looks like. Because again, there can be a fallout from this and we can miss out on what we can really take away from that because all of this consumes so much of our energy and takes up so much space and using food to control what our body looks like gives us an illusion of safety. So You all know from listening to me that I am a big advocate of learning how to tune in and listen to your body and pay attention and getting back to those instincts we were born with, which we've gotten away from. And so many people have lost the ability to trust themselves to make their own decisions. And it is having an impact direct or indirectly on how we perceive our body and our relationship with that. And this is a huge piece of improving that relationship with our body. (sighs) So start paying attention, ask your body what it needs and freaking listen. Okay, so this other area that is progressing and I really love, this is the work that Myrna is doing and she's doing it very well, is body positivity. And I think that... There's a lot of good coming out of this. But I also feel like if taken the wrong way by the wrong people, this message of self-love can be problematic. 
body positivity sounds like such a great idea until you realize it's not always attainable. And it promises that you're going to one day be able to post a picture of yourself with the stomach rolls or the cellulite or whatever it is, and you're going to just fall in love with them. The reality is throwing away a lifetime of body hangups is complicated. And it doesn't mean that you're suddenly going to be able to adopt a hashtag, love my body overnight. And the problem with this is that if you fall into this idea that you believe, you know, you should love everything about your body, you're going to feel like a failure when you don't. And sometimes it feels like this movement doesn't leave any room for what really happens with us and the struggles with, you know, insecurities and self-doubt aren't allowed. There's no space for that. So I, I think that there's an in-between and I've noticed how harmful this particular message to love your body can be because when we talk about our insecurities, we don't want somebody to tell us that we should love our body the way it is. I never do this with my clients and I would never want somebody to do that with to me because we're ignoring their story and their struggle. And I think that there's a line. We don't want anybody to be a victim, but the insecurities and the shame and the doubt, those are real. And this idea of body positivity can make you feel pressured to not feel those things. So I love this movement because I love the idea of celebrating our bodies, no matter the shape or the size, like Myrna is doing. And I want more of this. Yes, please. It's addressing a lot of toxic messages and these ideals of perfectionism that are in the media and all this stuff that was unearthed with magazines and you know airbrushing and all of that stuff that has been going on for years and years. And this is a great way to move in a different direction and change that narrative and keep people honest. But I think that there's a pull between wanting to love yourself no matter what, and then what it actually takes to do that. (laughs) And we don't want to feel guilty for not loving our body 100%. So there's pressure, right? Um, It's hard in our culture and our society to feel good about our bodies every day. And we have to protect ourselves from a lot of things in order to do that. You know, I'm not a big believer in like adding to the things we don't feel good about ourselves for. So it's getting to a place of just making peace with where we're at And knowing that it's a journey and you're not going to get there overnight. So you don't have to feel positive about all aspects of your body all the time. Let's be honest. We have days when we look in the mirror and we aren't feeling it. Or let's be honest, maybe we have weeks and that's okay. It's totally normal. It doesn't make you a failure. It doesn't mean that you're not doing the work. It's really... You know, to notice what it is that is triggering you and you're not okay with and accept that, you know, you're not supposed to like feel awesome about posting anything on social media when you're not ready to do that or ever. But it's shifting your focus from how your body looks to quite honestly what your body can do. And so it's getting to acceptance. And knowing that it doesn't shift completely overnight, but making those small changes. And I'm going to share with you the best way that I found to do this in a little bit. But I just wanted to say that this is less about, you know, the movement and more about finding communities and starting to have those conversations where people are working on accepting themselves and making those incremental shifts and changes and striving for a better relationship, right? 
that's where I'm at. That's how I feel about that. And I think that Myrna is a great example of doing this work so that others can feel comfortable and safe in having those conversations. And I think it's it's huge. It is huge. So a couple of things that I think are important when you're trying to improve your relationship with your body. And one of them, and I've talked about this before in other areas, I mean, there is a theme that is watching your use of social media and media in general, right? Protecting yourself, setting some boundaries around that because it's triggering. There's two ways it can be triggering. You can either find yourself in a place of judgment, whether it's you're judging yourself or others, neither is healthy. And then the other piece is this body positivity movement where you might see somebody who is posting a photo of how much they love their body and accept it. And again, you feel like you're failing and feeling that pressure on, well, I'm not there. What is wrong with me? And so what is important to remember in that case is you have no idea in either one of these, whether it's some somebody you follow who just is really comfortable in their body and and has that ideal image and you're judging yourself based on that, or it's somebody who is owning all the imperfections, you don't know where they're at and you don't know what's going on, you know, inside their head. So I think being conscious of how media affects you and if it's triggering is really important. And the media in general, while we've made strides, can still be very harmful because using women's bodies, and okay, this is, you know, this can, there's a spectrum based on where you fall in feminism and everything else, but we're still using bodies to sell things because the alternative just doesn't work as well. Protecting yourself from that, if it is triggering, is really helpful. And, you know, the more we work to eliminate those types of things, the closer we get to women running the world, let's be honest, because (laughs) we would have so much more energy to focus on the big things if we stop spending our energy focusing on our body and obsessing over changing it and thinking about meal planning and calorie counting and shaming ourselves, right? We would have the capacity and we will have the capacity to engage in making an impact and ending oppression and taking over the damn world instead of focusing on all the things that are going to fix us. I say all this and I just want to add in here that obviously I'm in the health industry. I firmly believe that we also should be doing the work to improve our health and take care of ourselves. So there's, again, that delicate balance, which leads me to the second thing, which is radical self-compassion. And knowing that our body is okay at any size. So this is controversial, especially, you know, it depends on who you talk to. But acceptance does not mean that you're throwing in the towel and giving up on yourself. It means you're meeting yourself where you're at and you're not going to wait to accept yourself for a time when you've achieved something. So you can be in both spaces. You can accept yourself for where you're at and also do the work to improve your health or to make some positive changes. You can do both. But the messaging can feel like we can't. And I really hate that. So in this particular place, when it comes to self-acceptance and compassion, it starts with acknowledging that you don't have to wait for something to change to accept yourself. And if you do, you've got to get honest. Your target will always be moving if you're always waiting and you will always feel like you're waiting to change something to be okay. I want everyone to get to a place where they can be kind to themselves now and not wait. You know, we don't talk a ton about this because it's not sexy, doesn't sell. And so we need to do some work here 
in our society and our culture around this. But when it comes to compassion and acceptance, I think one of the best ways to shift this is to move out of focusing on how your body looks and instead what your body can do. And that's what Myrna did. That's what she's doing. She is embracing her body and owning the power and how it feels to run and what she's capable of doing and proving to herself what she can do. And there it goes back to that um, connection between mind and body, right? The body follows where the mind goes. And you are so much more capable than you think. And you are stronger than you think. And your body can move in so many amazing ways. And so I think that the best way to get to a place of acceptance and compassion is to get really into your body and to move and to do the things. And maybe to see even see yourself as an athlete, to just really play around with movement and and see what your body is capable of doing and own that and use that to focus on rather than, you know, the pimple on your face or the cellulite on your thighs or whatever that is. That does not mean that you can't move and you aren't strong. So please look at it from that perspective. It will really change things. And then my final one I'm going to ruffle a few feathers and I might trigger you, but I say fuck positive affirmations. And I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to give you an alternate, first of all. So I'm not leaving you hanging. But early on in my treatment with my eating disorder, they wanted me to eat and they wanted me to practice positive affirmations. Write down things on a note card, put them in places where I saw them. And there was a major disconnect because they didn't teach me how to tune into my feelings and use those to work on shifting the messaging that was in my head. And I've learned a lot about the brain and neuroscience and how you reprogram your brain and how visualization and making those shifts has to include feelings. And so I told you that for 10 years, I really hadn't recovered I still had so much shame and insecurities and I relapsed a few times with my eating disorder. And it wasn't until I started to do the work that I learned that I needed to start with actually noticing what I was saying to myself before I practice any type of regulation or changing of uh, the messaging. Because if we're not aware of what's happening and how we're feeling, it's really hard to shift. Like I could stare at the same statement all day long. If there's a disconnect in terms of my feelings, it's not going to really make an impact. So I learned that I needed to notice how I was regulating and become aware of what was happening and how I was responding. Because the message we learned, we've all learned, is that if we feel fear, we need to shut it down. Like, nope, can't exist. Well, many of us have experienced this. And if we feel negative or an emotion that's uncomfortable, we need to turn it off right away. But by doing that, we don't learn how to feel it. And this is a problem because we don't know how to shift out of it if we don't know how to feel it. And we've got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable with some of those feelings. I ignored all of the the feelings And in fact, I used my control of not eating, of numbing out by not eating food, much like someone would numb out with binging or drinking or any of those things, instead of just trying to do the work. And so when I finally did the work, I learned what I was feeling and what to do with those feelings so I could navigate. And it didn't include positive affirmations. It doesn't include positive affirmations. I don't believe even when you are connected with your feelings that you can start telling yourself you are an amazing, beautiful woman if your current state is, I'm ugly, fat, and gross. So you've got to meet yourself where you're at. And in my work, we call this neutral thoughts. 
So I've probably talked about this before, but it's really meeting yourself where you're at. And so we want to start to make shifts, but they need to be realistic shifts. Otherwise, the brain is like, "Uh uh-uh, lady, everything that is in your brain right now is negative. And this is one we got to throw away because it doesn't actually match up to what you think. If you remember in previous podcasts, we have a program in our brain called the reticular activating system that takes in all of that all that messaging. You've got to, you know, help it out a little bit. <laughs> so, if you think I'm fat, ugly and gross right now, then you've got to find a thought that you believe that you can latch onto that is a little bit better that you can start saying to yourself. And then from there, you will move up. And eventually, you will be able to say that I'm beautiful and and capable and amazing. But right now, maybe it's, you know, my body is strong, right? Or maybe it's, I have a body. (laughs) I mean, you've got to just start where you're at. And if you can shift to saying that instead of I'm gross and fat and ugly, well, that's better, right? And so this is the work that I did and I continue to do. I'm not trying to make stuff up that is not going to work and my brain isn't going to take. And so I'm always constantly working on things that I can improve. And for me, I've had kids. I feel like my body is strong and capable. And on the days where I feel like I'm pretty down on myself, those are some of my go-tos. And so finding out what you can do for yourself there is so important. And it will get you to that place of body positivity, especially if you can match that up with really getting in your body and moving. (sighs) That was good. That was a good conversation. I had a lot of fun with this. This is obviously an area that is very close to me and my own experience. And I think, you know, on a deeper level, when we are playing small and we're shrinking our bodies, we're also shrinking our voice and we're not showing up in a big way. And we ultimately make decisions from that place. So we step into relationships where we don't have any self-worth and we don't expand in our role and our job and our business and our relationships because expansion means taking up space. And we've been led to believe that we need to shrink ourselves. And so I think it's really, really important that we continue these conversations and we encourage women to take up more space. And in our circles, whether it's in your community of friends or in your family, encouraging more positive conversations about body and self is vital. And that's why I love having a mastermind because it fosters these relationships or these conversations. I mean, in a place where women are really doing the deep work to improve this. And yes, of course, there are days when people are having shitty days and they're feeling negative. But if, you know, part of the group can help that person move through it, oh, so powerful. Okay. Before I close, I happened upon... I literally opened Myrna's book and I was like, whatever page I open on is the page I need to read. And it's so funny how this stuff works. So I'm going to read this to you because I I think it's, um, it's helpful and it's impactful. And I just think she's amazing. So here we go. Surviving middle school is particularly hard. Living every day in bodies that are constantly changing without worry about what other people are thinking and how some treat others based simply on appearance can be brutal. My message for anyone who is in middle school or who knows someone in middle school is simple. Your body, whatever it is, whatever its size, whatever its hair color and hairstyle, however its height, whatever its age is acceptable. Your body is acceptable just the way you are. No matter your age, If you're in your 40s like me, or 10, 14, 30, or even 60, your body is a beautiful work in progress. I tell you my story to say, here I am. I weigh about 240 pounds. I'm still fat, but guess what? I played sports throughout high school while being a big girl. I've run since high school as a big girl. I recommitted to running after a health scare as a much bigger woman and then as a less big woman, but I'm still what some folks would call big. 
And as of then of 2016, I've run nine marathons and eight ultra marathons longer than 26.2 miles. In fact, my longest ultra marathon was almost 62 miles long. So did I let Jerry, a boy who slapped my ass and hurled a hurtful comment at me, determine how I see myself? Nope. And here I am. When people look at me, they don't automatically see a runner. In fact, I don't know what people think about me when I'm in my non-running civilian clothes. Maybe she's a mom. Maybe she works in the home. Maybe she works outside the home. Maybe she's not from here. Maybe she needs some new clothes. Maybe she's single. I don't think they think, oh, she's a runner or a person who runs marathons or a person who does any kind of exercise. If they do see me in my running clothes, maybe they think, what have we got here? That's cute. But why is she wearing these clothes? Why does she have running stickers on her car? Must be used. Someone actually asked this once. I don't let all that get to me. I like to surprise people. I delight in seeing someone's seeing people's looks when I tell them that I finished a 22-mile run or I'm limping and stiff because I just finished an ultra marathon. Instead of being ashamed of doing what you do or being what you are, I ask two important questions. Why not celebrate it? Why not be proud of the fact that the body you are in can do great things? Mm, so good and so important. So I wanted to leave you with that. <laughs> My surprise page turn. It's powerful and it's very much in alignment with what I just spoke about. So celebrate your body. Know that you are capable of doing amazing things in it and use it for good. And know that you can also work on your health, but also accept where you're at at the same time. So I, as I said, thoroughly loved having this conversation. I hope that it opens up the opportunity to have more conversations down the road. And if it triggered you and it brought up some stuff and you want to have a conversation about it, please reach out. You can message me at Kelly T Health on Facebook or on Instagram. I'm more active on Instagram. And let's talk. It's triggering. It can trigger you in a positive way or it can bring up some shit. So let's talk about it. Don't throw it under the rug, remember. And if you found this episode enjoyable, please leave a review or share it. Take a snapshot of it and share it on social media so others can jump in and be a part of the conversation. Thank you for being with me, for letting me talk about something that I'm very passionate about, and I hope to have more conversations down the road. And yeah, that's it. I will talk to you next week. Bye for now. 